Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. It's Tuesday, November the 10th. Plenty of important COVID news to update you on today, including reaction to a potential vaccine shortly. But first, all trials at Maidstone Crown Court have been put on hold after three jurors tested positive for coronavirus. They'd been sitting on the murder trial of a man accused of stabbing his friend. The remaining members of the jury have been told to self-isolate while Public Health England inspect the building. It's also led to another trial being delayed just minutes before the jury was due to be sworn in. Paul Hooper is our reporter at the court. For the past several months, Maidstone has been successfully conducting trials with jurors ensconced behind perspex booths, arriving and leaving in single file. In fact, Maidstone Crown Court has led the country in putting on trials, despite all the difficulties of ensuring exhibits are sterilised and at times using an adjoining courtroom so jurors can sit feet apart. The jury listening to the murder trial were also taken to the scene of the fatal incident in Maidstone, returned to court, and then days later, one of them felt sick, and then a second, and then a third. By law, the trial could continue with nine jurors, but now the judge and barristers are facing a problem. Do they press ahead with the remaining nine, or await the recovery of two of the three who've tested positive? The inclination is to keep calm and carry on, especially as family members from the defendant and the alleged victim have turned up every day and listened to the evidence with great dignity. Nobody wants to prolong their agony. Elsewhere, an Kent MP has been questioning the head of the coronavirus test and trace system on its performance. A parliamentary committee has heard that the proportion of contacts being reached and asked to isolate by local authorities is almost double the success rate of the national team. Well, Tunbridge Wells MP Greg Clark has asked Baroness Dido Harding why it's not working closer with local health bosses. The local teams, um, they have so much more local knowledge, as we keep saying, they have access to more information and, is, uh, uh, as we just hear, heard, can go and knock on people's doors. But that is not something you can do for 80% of the, of the people contacted, certainly at this scale of, of infection. So you need both. It's not an either-or. But when you've got that disparity uh, in performance and success rates and you've got the local directors of public health telling you they can do more... Why would you well, not have, um, we are that? we are working really hard. We have 150 local authorities working with us on local contact tracing partnerships as we speak, and another 150 are about to go live. And we're really keen to experiment and pilot with all of those local authorities to do more and more. We do see case flow Pilots. come the other way as well. Six months into the virus, we're piloting these schemes. Well, we're learning all the time. I think that's entirely appropriate. Um, we, could I just just conf- just clarify? Briefly. We do see cases come the other way as well. So um, when you see a large outbreak in a particular geography, um, because you have, a, however large the team, a finite amount of, of people in one local geography, we do, as part of our partnership, local authority contact tracers send cases back to the central teams as well. We work genuinely in partnership to make sure that together we reach as many people as possible. As promised then, reaction to the news we heard yesterday about a potential vaccine. It's been developed by Pfizer and early trials suggest it's 90% 
100% effective. The health secretaries confirmed he's asked the NHS to be ready to deploy the vaccine from next month if it's given the green light. Dr Julian Spinks is a GP in Stroud. GP practices are being asked to work together to prepare for possibly starting a vaccine as early as the beginning of December. The big hope is that we can vaccinate some of the most at risk for the winter months when the virus is most active and hopefully reduce the pressure on the NHS and also save people's lives. We've got to wait until we've had enough people vaccinated before we can really get back to normal. But it does add to our ability to fight this virus. It won't stop the need for uh, social distancing and masks and washing your hands and so on. But adding all these extra things in mean we reduce the risk to everybody. Darren Giffen is a professor of genetics at the University of Kent. He reckons we should be cautiously optimistic. First of all, a very big well done to the, to the Pfizer team. And of course, we still have a bit of a presence of Pfizer here in Kent. It is good news. There's no question but I think we need to treat it with the appropriate caution and appreciate that there's a long way to go. So can we talk more about some of the findings of this study, this 90% effective figure? Can you explain what this actually does mean? Well, it sounds like there was a placebo group and a test group, and there were roughly nine to 10 times more COVID cases in the placebo group compared to the test group. So some people in the test group still got it, but to be frank, for a first pass, that's about as good as the, as the news gets. So what happens next then? The next stage is that when something like half the patients have been observed for safety issues at least two months after the second injection, and as far as I can gather from the press release, that's, that's something like at least a month away, uh, then they can apply for emergency authorization to start rolling the vaccine out. Um, now, in terms of how many people get it and who gets it, I imagine that's still to be decided. Uh, so it's still some ways to go, but it, we may be seeing perhaps some of the more vulnerable pa patients, perhaps uh, some of the care workers receiving those very early doses, perhaps before Christmas, but more likely perhaps just a little bit after. More schools have been affected by outbreaks. Here's a quick roundup for you. All Year 11 pupils at Fort Pitt Grammar in Chatham have been told to isolate. Two-year groups at nearby Raynham Girls are having to stay at home on some days this week because of a lack of teachers to safely manage the school. Six more people have tested positive at Westlands in Sittingbourne. They've now had at least 19 cases since children returned in September. Dozens of children at Barming Primary in Maidstone have been told to self-isolate. Year 12 and 13 at Maidstone Grammar are staying home, along with Year 11 pupils from Cranbrook School. And a special needs school in Canterbury has decided to close for a fortnight. The Orchard has 83 pupils and has confirmed several people have tested positive. And finally, a story also linked to COVID-19. This one is all to do with social distancing. Linda Johnson from Margate is visually impaired and she decided to speak to the Kent Online podcast after being abused while out shopping for not staying far away enough from other people. She says it's simply not her fault. Going out now as a visually impaired person is um, an absolute nightmare um, guide dogs are not trained to social distance and they're not trained um, to join queues of shops. Guide dogs will see a queue and treat it as an obstacle. They're actually trained to locate the dog for you and take you directly in. Um, this is when the public um, 
can become aggressive, nasty, and in some cases actually abusive. Because as far as they're concerned, you've jumped the queue and there's other people before you. So I've been, I've been called all sorts of names. Um, I've even been accused of having a guide dog under false pretenses because I'm not blind. And how do you feel about going out now, considering anxious. what you have to go through? Really anxious. I have to psych myself up before I actually go out. I, I won't go into shops that I used to go into before the pandemic. But the simple reason is, if there's a queue, I get a little fed up with people's attitudes towards visually impaired people. So there's only one shop now that I actually feel comfortable in that I get all the help I could possibly ask for. But everywhere else, no, it's not, not an option. And to follow guidance like social distancing, how difficult is that for you? When you have limited vision, I can't see how far two metres away is. I haven't got a clue. Sitting here now, I couldn't tell you what two metres even looks like. So that is really, really difficult. And obviously there's markings on the floor. A guide dog doesn't understand those markings and neither does a visually impaired person because they can't see them. I've also been chatting to David Clark, who's from the RNIB. I, I would start off by saying that the vast overwhelming majority of the public um you know are incredibly understanding um but it is horrific when you hear situations like this because you know there the reality is that social distancing is incredibly difficult for blind and partially sighted people whether um using a cane or or using a guide dog if you look at the guide dog situation guide dogs simply don't understand the concept of being two meters away they understand about guiding around people and avoiding obstacles but they don't understand two meters and with a cane, you know, if you can't see what's around you, you're naturally using the cane um, uh, to, to sort of find open spaces and to find your route. And therefore, again, it's very, very difficult um, uh, to maintain. And I think um, it is truly awful when you hear circumstances like this, because confidence, I would say, is at an all time low in terms of being out and about and going about your daily life because of the restrictions uh, for blind and partially sighted people. And incidents like this can only make it worse. And David Linda says she's had problems with being accused of queue jumping, something you can understand. I had a similar issue, uh, although perhaps uh, different lifestyles that we lead. Mine was at a bakery. Um, but, um, you know, what's happening is there's lots of visual cues, you know, uh, literally. So, you, you know, it, there's no way you would know. And, and I have to say that guide dogs are not great cures at the best of times. So, um, you know, if it sees a group of people, then the guide dog will see that as an obstacle and go around it until they can get to the front of the queue to get into the shop or the bank or whatever where they're intending to go. So uh, queuing is not easy at the, at, at, at the best of times. But actually what you're finding is that, you know, you find lots of queues set up with, with you know, sort of straps and poles, which are incredibly difficult, whether you have a cane or a guide dog. Um, and, you know, it's quite unusual, isn't it, in, a, in, in, in the UK to have queues outside shops. So it's an unusual circumstance. And I think, again, this is why it's really, really important that firstly, that the government actually provides specific advice to businesses on how to set these things up in a, in a way that, that's, that's relevant to everybody. Um, you know, we did some uh, recent work with another supermarket chain where they'd introduced a traffic light system for going in and out. And, you know, they then made that an audible traffic light system so that the sort of blind and partially sighted people were also able to understand when they could come in and out of the shop. But what you're seeing is lots of glass barriers with, 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 uh, without tape around them, for example. So, you know, partially sighted people particularly can't, can't know that there's a barrier there because there's no kind of contrast sort of 
um, showing. So, you know, simple thing of putting black tape around glass barriers makes it kind of clear that, that there is a that there is a barrier there. So there's lots of things businesses can do, but actually I think all of it is reliant on the public to be understanding. Kent Online News. Elsewhere today, a Broadstairs woman has gone on trial accused of faking cancer to raise money online. Nicole Elkabas allegedly created a GoFundMe page saying she had ovarian cancer and used donations to fund a lavish lifestyle. The 42-year-old from Edgeend Road denies fraud and possessing criminal property. The trial continues. A 79-year-old motorcyclist has been killed in a crash on Romney Marsh. The white Triumph bike he was riding collided with a black Volkswagen on Sunday morning. A body has been found in the search for a man who went missing after going swimming near Faversham. That of two Mark Green was last seen on the banks at Harty Ferry on Sunday. There's been a drop in the number of people claiming jobless benefits in Kent. Almost 68,670 were unemployed in the county last month. That's down from more than 70,000 in September. Nationally, more people were made redundant between July and September than at any point on record. The Office for National Statistics says around 314,000 redundancies were registered during the three months. Campaigners who want to set up tourism signs on the M2 promoting Sheppey have been told to prove the island attracts at least 200,000 visitors a year. Local leaders also have to agree to reintroduce a tourist information centre. Ahead of Armistice Day tomorrow, Kent Online's been told seven war memorials in Kent have been listed. The sites at places including Hever, Folkestone and Forkham are among 20 in the southeast that have been protected by historic England. And a not-so-ancient stone circle has been installed in Whitstable. It's at Duncan Down, the largest village green in the area. Its creators want the monument that marks the four points of the compass to be seen as a quiet place for reflection. Kent Online Sports. Football and Gillingham have been drawn at home to League Two's Exeter City in the second round of the FA Cup. The Jills got through after beating non-league Woking 3-2 at the weekend, although they did have to come back from two goals down. They'll welcome Exeter to Priestfield later this month. Well, that's it for today, but you can also subscribe to the IM News app. By doing that, you'll get access to all KM Group newspapers from across the county. Just head to ilifmediasubs.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.